Welcome to Birch Banter. I'm Connor Burse. I'm Jake Deball. I'm Ethan Reichel. On today's show, we're going to be discussing TikTok's non-growth year, how AI is changing digital marketers' approach to advertising, and looking at setting budgets in PPC. I've got a report from Forrester Research that points to TikTok's growth among teens is plateauing. Of the teens surveyed, 69% of them reported using TikTok at least once a week in the 2022 survey while the 2023 survey that just came out in November has that same metric as 68%, a 1% decrease year over year. What's interesting, though, is that the short-form consumption is up across the board. Meta and YouTube are gaining traction here. Instagram Reels saw an 11-point year-over-year increase in weekly usage, and YouTube has also experienced a similar uptick, jumping six points. So my discussion question is two-part. First, What is your preferred short-form media platform? And second, what would make you switch to another one? So I'd love to hear from the group, maybe starting with Ethan, since he's the youngest. Sure. My preferred method of short-form media would have to be Instagram Reels. I enjoy watching a lot of surf clips and that kind of thing, and those are presented really well on Instagram. So what keeps you on Instagram Reels versus jumping over to TikTok? My Instagram reels tend to be a little more focused on one subject, and I really like the way they portray the media. For example, I enjoy to watch stuff like surfing and snowboarding, and Instagram knows that really well. Whereas if I jump on TikTok, they'll throw me a complete array of things that might include some of that, but it's mostly random content. And then now I'm starting to see a lot more ads on TikTok as well. Ooh, so the algorithm has not been trained as much on you. So when you go over there, it feels like just not a very curated experience yet. Definitely. And then they're monetizing on top of it while Instagram is just just better. I have heard that before. That's the biggest challenge with these guys is if you already have the algorithm tuned for the person, it's so much easier to keep them on the platform. Somehow, though, TikTok took off the lead and and still got over that. So that's pretty interesting. Jake, how about you? I feel like for me... Just the Instagram feed for almost like news updates, like I'll I'll follow, you know, my favorite sports teams in those leagues and just scrolling through that Instagram feed, I get a lot of quick updates just by looking at it. Don't really have to get involved in any videos or anything. But if we're talking just pure entertainment, um, I can get lost in TikTok holes and just keep watching videos if, you know, I'm I'm super bored and want to pass some time. So what would be a feature or some reason one of these platforms would pull you over to watch Reels? or TikTok or whatever short form it is. Just with TikTok, having it be all video, I, I like the Instagram feed because I could just scroll through photos really quick and just get a quick glimpse of what's going on at a moment's notice rather than having to watch a two-minute clip of something from SportsCenter or something like that on TikTok to get the same news. Makes sense. So for me, I'm actually a YouTube shorts person. That's where I'd say I watch 80% of the short form media like this. But it's weird because I was thinking about what, makes me go watch it there and i don't think i've ever decided to watch short form media i feel like i'm on instagram or i'm on youtube and then i end up in it and then i'm stuck in the hole for however long which is why i've never gone out of my way to get onto tiktok because i just i don't know it feels like the few times i've tried it it just hits you with video right away it feels i don't know kind of crazy and it's a weird choice to go into it so i've never trained it but i'm on youtube i'm watching a video And for some reason, a real pop-up or a short, sorry, will pop up and then I'm in. Uh, Same with Instagram. I think I'm on stories and then someone will post a reel to their story. I'll click it to watch it. And then also next thing I know, I'm like 10 deep. So I don't even know if there is a feature TikTok could launch 
that would move me away from the the shorts and the reels that I'm already enjoying because I don't intend to go watch them all the time. Do you guys ever feel that way? Yeah. I feel like there's a ton of people in your situation since YouTube already has that massive following. A lot of people are going to be introduced to short-term media content through YouTube. I mean, we saw it a couple of years back with Vine. That was very popular for the younger generations and our generation. I think they just limited themselves with only having the six-second videos. Also, but, you had to like tap into it. TikTok was so smart that you just open it and then you're watching. Yeah. Right? That was so clever. Because Vine is TikTok, right? Just what, 10 years ago? <laughs> yeah. Just a slightly different experience. But yeah. In recent news, Google's new Gemini makes GPT kind of look like a baby's toy. Have you guys heard a whole lot about the new Gemini AI Google has been rolling out? A little bit. Yeah, it, it's pretty cool. ChatGPT4 is definitely part of my workflow each day. So it's kind of cool to see Google step up to the plate with something that looks like it could compete, especially with, what what is it? Is it Bard? Google Bard? It just doesn't seem like it can compete right now. So that is exciting news. Yeah, I haven't dove too deep into it. I, it was really only a matter of time before tech monster Google goes ahead and puts something out there that could actually show up and go toe to toe with something as powerful as chat GPT. So interested to see how it's going to all unfold and who's going to get the jump in terms of developing at a faster pace and improving it. What's always blown my mind about Google and AI is that, uh, was it GPT? I, I, I don't exactly know what GMP is, but I know T is a transformer, right? That's what it stands for. Google invented the transformer of the GPT. That's Google's invention. They were part of it. So chat GPT is a big part of Google. And then Google can't compete with chat GPT, even though they own some of the core technology behind it. So it's always blown my mind that Google just hasn't figured this out, that they've been caught with their pants down like this. And then, yeah, Bard came out. It's not even close to being as good as chat GPT 3.5. I'm curious for you guys in your day-to-day -day workflow as professional digital marketers and web developers, how has the introduction of AI helped your jobs and what are your kind of worries with it in the future? Well, Jake, I'll take this one first. So at, at least in the marketing, what we do, especially with PPC and programmatic media buying, there's kind of like two different avenues you can take with AI. Uh, one is the LLMs, right? ChatGPT, the large language models that the last year has been what people think of as AI. But then there's just like the machine learning, right? The ML, that's AI. That's like true AI, honestly, and what we're talking about even. But the machine learning is teaching a computer based on some inputs and getting out some unbelievable like pattern recognition. And for Google and Google ads, Facebook ads, we've been using that for 10 years, maybe more on some level. And it's the same way on your iPhone, the Photos app, when it sees a dog, right? Like it says, hey, it looks like there's a dog here or it does a slideshow of all your pets. That's machine learning. That's AI. Same technology that's gotten really popular in the last year. But we've been using it in digital marketing basically from the beginning, right? Since I was in high school, which is long time ago now, 10 plus years. So that is just getting better. And Google's leaning into it more with campaigns like Pmax and the added conversion sources that we have to send in. So that way, the more data points can train it better, you name it. But then on the flip side, the LLM stuff, the chat GPT, that is a little bit newer, I'd say, into our workflows. And the, the quote that always stands out to me with it is, chat GPT4 doesn't replace a writer, 
it replaces a bad writer. So if you write bad copy, it can really help you, but it, it doesn't really write the best copy in the world. So it feels, at least from my perspective, where this AI stuff has been coming into our workflow is first drafts, right? Like give us 10 options for this. And then as marketers, we know what looks good. We go, oh, these five, definitely a starting point. And then we revision on top of it. Between just the technology always being there and it's getting better on the ML side of uh, programmatic buying and stuff like that, that's really cool to see. And then the just productivity gains of getting first drafts out the door and then editing and moving a little bit faster on that side. So that's, uh, from my perspective, how this AI uh, surge has been affecting our digital marketing. Jake, how about you? I think you hit it right on the head. Everything you said there from machine learning, it's been a huge integral part of our strategy, especially with our escape room marketing niche and the fact that we're able to put all the revenue numbers back into Google ads to train it even more to optimize for people who are going to convert at a higher clip and, you know, have bigger checkout amounts. It's been really instrumental in, in getting us to where we are as digital marketers and being able to deliver the results that we have been for our clients for the past few years. So that has been absolutely huge. And also you nailed it with kind of the chat GPT stuff is in my workflow, particularly I get writer's block. So I use it a lot for first draft, just get a lot of outputs from it and then go in and tweak it, have, use it to give me some ideas on, okay, these could be good headlines if I just tweak one or two parts of it, because it's, it's never going to put the exact words that you want out there, but it can give you some ideas on how you can get to the words that you're looking for to use. So that's how it's been used in my workflow. You know, I'll piggyback off the escape room comment you made because that's a niche that really leaned into all this stuff to, to really set us apart. Because Jake, you're an incredible media buyer, but you work Google Ads better than I could ever wish to work Google Ads. But a big part of it is giving it the right data so it can learn who to serve the ads to. So escape room owners will come to us and they'd never set up conversion tracking with the revenue coming through. So Google cannot feed their machine the types of people that are spending money on the platform so that way they can do better targeting. Not only do we have the best media buyer in the game, Jake, but we have the best data going into Google to create some of the best tracking and best targeting to make the campaigns even better. When an escape room owner comes to us and they just have a normal campaign, it's running, it's okay, we make it better. We get the data in there, we get audited, it's so much better. So we really lean into what does Google need for their AI to do the best work it possibly can do, and we give it to it. So while we're on the topic of Google ads and escape rooms, I just wanted to transition into our next segment, which is if you've even spent a fraction of the time that I have in the Google ads platform over the past couple of months, you'll notice that they've been pushing their performance max campaigns pretty hard lately. And this goes back to the machine learning we were talking about. Uh, performance max is pretty much an AI campaign where they just take a bunch of signals from your website to form search ads, display ads, uh, video ads, if you have that creative. But it's pretty much all done for you, and there's not a lot of manual setup you have to do beyond just giving it the input of your website and maybe a couple pictures. One thing that we have seen with accounts that we've recently taken over is the only campaign that they have live in their account is a performance max campaign, which is understandable because it doesn't require a lot of skill in the Google Ads platform to get set up. But one thing that we've learned is performance max campaigns are going to be optimized best with only about 10 to 20% of your total Google Ads budget going into it. So it's not recommended to have 100% of your Google Ads budget 
in a performance max campaign. And for that matter, anything over 20% could potentially be harmful because it could be taking results away from your typical search campaigns, your typical display campaigns that you have a little more control over. So first things first is make sure you have some kind of conversion tracking set up. If you sell tickets online, I, we prefer to have the purchase set up and revenue tracking because whatever conversion we set up is going to be what Google is going to optimize for with their machine learning that we were talking about in the previous segment. If you're, let's say, a service business and you just need leads, like you have a contact form on your website, make sure that that at least is being tracked back to Google Ads so you know when someone clicks the ad, fills out your contact form and takes the action that you're paying for the ad for them to take, that Google's going to get that data back so that they can optimize based off of. If you don't have the skill to set up, you know, search or display campaigns and you do just want to go 100% Pmax, that makes that even more important because if you don't have a conversion action to feed into a machine learning campaign, you're going to end up spending more money on that campaign than you really need to to get the results that you're expecting to get from it. As a small business owner, is it easy to set up those conversion tracking? It can be done, but it depends on the complexity of the conversion that you do want to set up. If you have even the slightest bit of knowledge into your WordPress or whatever your website builder is, you should be able to go in and set up a conversion on something like a contact form. And essentially, the easiest type of conversion to set up is just by putting a little snippet of code on a thank you page. So once they take the desired action on your website, you redirect them to that thank you page. The code triggers, it's sent back to Google. It's a fairly easy setup, but to do something like revenue tracking on a booking system requires a lot more technical knowledge. So that might not be the easiest thing to just figure out intuitively. Once you do have that conversion tracking set up, whether it be a contact form submission, uh, revenue tracking on a booking purchase, the next thing you need to decide is how much as a business owner can I reasonably put into Google Ads and basically spend to learn a little bit about how the results are coming back in. If that is just $20 a day, what we're doing is buying data here to see how much is it going to cost me to get the desired action to be taken on my site, right? And then how much revenue is that actually going to bring back to my business? And then you can start doing some math. Say I'm spending $50 to get a conversion and then every conversion I'm making is bringing me $100 in revenue. Then you can start calculating how much revenue am I looking to make from this Google Ads and how much am I trying to put in to get there? So you're really describing the science behind marketing, right? The We need the data to make good decisions. So we're going to set up the Google Ads at first with a budget that we can stomach because we know the setup is good, but we need to get the data to really test that hypothesis. Then we get back the data, we challenge the hypothesis, and then we adjust it moving forward. So you're really describing like setting this up with a real growth, learning, and uh, science-based approach, right? Yeah, absolutely. And we do like to keep our budgets fluid. Any of our clients that sign up, we will always respect their boundaries on how much they want to spend on Google Ads. But as the marketers, we want the ability to be a little fluid in that. So if we see opportunity to be able to increase that budget and still make the same returns that we're making, we want to go ahead to do so because it's all about finding that sweet spot of how much can I really spend while I'm still seeing the same returns come in. So what would cause you to turn up the budget after a couple weeks or months? So if the data's coming in and after a few weeks, we're seeing five, six, seven X return on ad spend, 
we're seeing good returns and that's a sign that let's test it out a little higher. So it's really just continued testing because then if we increase it by five, ten dollars a day and we see those same returns coming in, we're like, okay, we're still in that safe zone. We can continue to increase this budget. But if we turn up that budget by five, ten dollars a day and all of a sudden our multiple on the return drops down to like three or four X, we may become limited by demand in that case. So on the flip side, when would you turn down the budget? Let's say I'm out at 50 bucks a day. Is there ever a scenario where you turn down the budget? That's going to be based off the competitive metrics. So there's a little slot in your Google ad that says auction insights. And if you click on that, it's going to show basically how you're ranking against your competitors. And the biggest sign to turn down your budget is if you're over dominating. So say your ads are showing up 90% of the time, one of your keywords are searched and all of your competitors are showing up less than 10%. That's a pretty clear sign that you're over dominating the market on those keywords, which let's be honest, Google's going to take as much money as you tell them, you know, here's my budget's $50 a day when there might only be enough demand to spend 20, $25 a day reasonably your clicks are going to get more expensive because Google does want that money that you tell them you're okay with spending. So to put a bow on this, how much should we spend on Google each day, Jake? Whatever you're comfortable with to start, have conversion tracking properly set up so the data comes in right and you're able to make informed business decisions on what your Google Ads marketing budget should be. Typical marketer can't answer a straightforward question, can you? Just got to give us the runaround. Just kidding. Just kidding. So, all right. Well, that's awesome. Thanks, Jake. Uh, Ethan, with that, we'll wrap it up. I'll read us out. Birch Banter is a Birch River production. A big thank you to Jake D-Ball, produced by myself, Connor Burst, and edited by the Ethan Reichel.